This week, Tag sees more grown-up men reaching for their inner child. Please tell me what's going on here. Our group of friends has been playing the same game of Tag for 30 years. What? For the entire month of May, every year, we play Tag. Double Lover is a very French combination of lies and eroticism. Pourquoi tu mens? Mais je te mens pas, Chloé. Tu t'es vu en sortant du musée. Mais tu t'es trompé. C'était pas moi. C'était quelqu'un qui me ressemblait. And can C'est la vie successfully revive the banquet that goes wrong? Prends des photos parce que finalement c'est ça ton métier. Et puis que j'entende plus parler de toi ce soir, s'il te plaît. Please. No problem. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. There's been a noticeable impatience among regular moviegoers at the predictability of what's on at the cinema, especially during blockbuster season. But will passing some draconian law forbidding any more comic book movie franchises for a few years, or indeed any film with a number at the end of its title, actually do any good? Not again. Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no! Oh, hell yes! I mean, it's not only mindless rubbish that's built on a formula, surely. The fact is, we relish a certain amount of predictability when we go to a movie. It's not cheap, after all, and we like to have some idea of what we're letting ourselves in for, whether it's boy meets girl, underdog triumphant, or colourful outlaws putting together one last heist. How long did it take you to figure all this out? Five years, eight months, and 12 days. Why do you need to do this? Because it's what I'm good at. Okay, everybody, let's get started. Here we go. But there's a fine line between a cliché and a reliable genre, and often we don't know which side of the line a film walks until it's too late. But we're more likely to follow an idea we've already liked, hence the perennial appeal of buddy films or ones about a girl's night out. This weekend is about us. We deserve this. So let's go. I have to pee. Look, the line is short over there. There's a long line in the bathroom here. Just go for it. There's some comfort in the tried and true with its promise that it will mostly all come out all right in the end, even if it means our hero may have to go undercover to sort it out. First, of course, surrendering his badge and his gun. You want your badge and your gun? Badge and gun officer. Gun and badge. First, you're an embarrassment to the entire department. There is no excuse for you. Come on, the badge and the gun, now. As I've said more often than I care to remember, it's not the familiar setups themselves that are necessarily at fault. It's how they're delivered. And this week we offer three more than twice told tales, all depending entirely on how well they're told. Two, coincidentally, come from France. (laughs) 
double lover is a variation on the old is this shockingly real or am I going crazy format. The sort of film that French Hitchcock fans like Francois Ozon have been making for half a century. Meanwhile, another film with the rather generic title C'est la vie tries to revive the old big night food movie. D'ailleurs, garde un peu ton portable à la main. Comme ça, moi, je t'appelle et je te dis go. Ou juste un texto. Hein. Non, 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 non. I used to think it was impossible to make a bad film about food, though I have been disillusioned recently. Can C'est la vie restore my faith? But first, an American comedy staple, the ageing lost boys who never grew up. On the heels of The Hangover, Grown Ups and any film set in Las Vegas, here is Tag. Susan. You take Jerry to be your husband. What's the difference between Episcopalian and Lutheran? Episcopalians don't eat fish. That's pescatarian. That's not a religion. They're all fanatics. I don't know. At the start of TAG, just after we're told this is based on a real-life story, a voiceover tries to sell the idea this is more important than it looks. We don't stop playing because we get old, he says. We get old because we stop playing. Well, this film tests that opinion to its utmost as we meet the five members of the gang. First, there's Callahan, a go-getting businessman. Uh, hey, could you maybe come back at another time or just right in the middle of something, sir? I'm afraid not, Bob. Jesus. Hoagie, what are you doing here? <laughs> How did you get past security? I didn't. I work here. You got a job at my company so you could try to tag me? That's Hogan, an equally successful academic who's gone to an inordinate amount of trouble to get close to Callahan, And the reason becomes clear after he lunges past the glamorous Wall Street Journal reporter. Please tell me what's going on here. Our group of friends has been playing the same game of tag for 30 years. What? For the entire month of May, every year we play tag. You're you me. The reporter is intrigued and insists on coming with Callahan and Hogan as they collect the rest of the gang. Stoner Chili, Neurotic Sable, and most important, the man who's never been tagged, Super Cool Jerry, played by Super Cool Jeremy Renner. You never know when someone's going to pop up. Congratulations, buddy. You're in. Doing great, Anna. Our buddy Jerry is the best that ever played. And now he wants to retire. Never been tagged. Just saying. So who's it? Can't touch it. Now, let's backtrack a little. This is a movie about five middle-aged men who every year play tag with each other, a game with so few elements it barely counts as a game at all. You're it, you touch someone else, they're it, and so on for, it seems, 30 years. This is clearly going to test a film's ability to maintain our interest for two hours. You may kiss the bride. <laughs> I love you. The hook, of course, is how to bring the invincible Jerry down. And Hogan spends a lot of the film doing that earnest plotting we associate with every Ed Helms character ever since the first Hangover. Fortunately, the rest of the cast, particularly John Hamm and Jake Johnson as Callahan and Chili, give their stock parts a little more charm than usual, and frankly, than they deserve. Can't touch this. This is here we get Jerry. Can't touch this. 
synchronize your watches. I don't know how to do that. I don't wear a watch. Time is a construct. Meanwhile, Jeremy Renner as Jerry displays an obsession with never being tagged that verges on the psychotic, particularly when he ropes his bride-to-be into preventing it happening. But when it comes to psychotic, the female of the species is about to prove deadlier than the male. Welcome Isla Fisher as Hogan's even more competitive wife. Some couples go on cruises, some couples go camping, some couples go to strip clubs and have gangbangs. And this is just what we love. This is our gangbang. Wow. Now, that's the trouble for women in these boys-just-want-to-have-fun movies. They have so little room to move. They're either the humorous grown-ups constantly spoiling our heroes' fun, or they're people like Isla Fisher taking it to a scary new level. It seems like the game has really kept you guys connected. All right. So good to see you. Come on. It's been a while since we've done this. Isla Fisher is both talented and funny, so I have nothing but sympathy for her and indeed for all the other women characters in Tag whose parts are so woefully underwritten and in some cases insultingly crass. The best you can say about them is that they're often in shot, reacting to our hero's shenanigans. Get up! I'm going to trap him and tag him in the face. And yet, in my heart of hearts, pretty sure it's not going to work. It's a standard boys' comedy, of course, salvaged from the special place in hell reserved for Adam Sandler movies by one or two good performances. And the fact that it's not stupid, exactly. I mean, it's about friendship and how easy it is to lose track of each other and stuff like that. Yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Callahan approaches from the left. Engage no contact protocol. No hand shall touch my body. And lest we forget, Tag is actually based on a well-known true story, one written up in the Wall Street Journal, no less, of a bunch of middle-aged guys who've played Tag all their lives. There's even footage of them at the end, pulling off some of the least likely stunts in the film, all in the name of friendship. This game has given us a reason to be in each other's lives. I think your dad would have really wanted you to be... Of course, I'm happy they're happy, and if they want to continue to chase after each other like nine-year-olds, well, that's fine with me too. But I'm not convinced there was enough in this account to warrant a newspaper article, let alone an entire movie. There was a lot of running around, but not a lot of contact. In fact, mostly, Tag never laid a hand on me. Eat my my dick. dick. Balls. But ice cream. What? He knows I'm lactose intolerant. He's taunting me. The director, François Ozon, like so many Frenchmen, is a big fan of the darker works of Alfred Hitchcock. Ozon's new film, Double Lover, takes a very Hitchcock idea of twins and doubles, but adds a distinctively French element of erotic nastiness. Je m'appelle Eva, j'ai 25 ans. Et je vis avec un homme que j'adore. 
Double Lover opens on a young woman called Chloe who complains of stomach cramps. The doctors can find nothing physically wrong and suggest she consult a psychiatrist. So she goes to Dr Paul Meyer, played by Ozon regular Jeremy Renier. Chloe, est-ce que tu voudrais m'épouser? Oui, Jeremy Renier, not to be confused with Tag's Jeremy Renner, can play sympathetic or unsympathetic, but here he seems anxious to help. In fact, after a few consultations, he confesses he's fallen in love with Chloe and the two move in together. In short order, Paul has proposed to Chloe and she's accepted, despite knowing very little about him, his family, or even if Paul Meyer is actually his real name. J'ai vu que tu portais un autre nom de famille. Tu veux pas en parler? Si, c'est pas important. C'est pour ça que je t'en ai pas parlé. C'est tout. Paul reassures her but tells her no more than he has to and nothing at all about the brother and the family photos Chloe stumbles on. Then one afternoon while riding in a bus Chloe sees Paul with another woman. Or is it Paul? Pourquoi tu me mens? Mais je te mens pas Chloé. C'était vu en sortant du musée. Mais tu t'es trompé. C'était pas moi. C'était quelqu'un qui me ressemblait. Paul denies seeing anyone else and suggests he might have a double. But why does he not mention anything about a brother? Chloe decides to investigate further and matters, already murky, take a turn for the fantastic. She discovers a twin called Louis who's also a psychiatrist, but a decidedly more dangerous one. So now we have two twin brothers, maybe, who also may or may not know about the relationship of Chloe with the other. And to add to the confusion, for reasons of her own, Chloe calls herself Eva when she's out investigating. All these twins, doppelgangers and secret identities test the patience and the credulity of the most generous audience. Tu es un monstre. Hélas, Chloé, il n'y a pas de monstre, mais que des êtres humains. Ils formaient un couple si parfait. Alors est arrivé ce qui est arrivé. If the lead performance was stronger, I might have been more inclined to work harder in unpicking the various layers of Double Lover. But Maureen Vacht as Chloe mostly alternates between sullen and petulant. It becomes increasingly hard to see what either twin sees in her. There are unreliable narrators, possible dream sequences, and even possible dreams within dreams, but there's one definite moment where my sympathy for the film and everyone in it faded away, never to return. I won't say more, partly to avoid spoilers, and partly because I'd rather not remember it. Je 
But aside from the deliberate shocks of double lover, how much of it was reality and how much was going on in her head, in his head or their head? I started to suspect Francois Ozon wasn't completely sure either. Alfred Hitchcock used to refer to refrigerator moments an hour or so after seeing a movie where the viewer is getting a snack and suddenly sees holes in the story. But the story of Chloe, or is it Eva, and her fiancé Paul, or is it his twin brother Louis, never even made it to the refrigerator for me. Long before the end, I didn't believe a word of double lover. When a French film has a title like C'est la vie, or Ooh la la, or Zoot alors, for that matter, it doesn't fill you with confidence. As it happens, the original title was the rather less easily translated Le Son de la Fête, which I think means something like The Party Spirit, though I might be wrong. But it doesn't matter. Whatever the title, it's the smartest, funniest film I've seen for ages. Je vous le redis, là, une bonne fois pour toutes, on est dans un château du XVIIe siècle. Donc on est forcément limité en puissance électrique. À l'époque, ils n'avaient pas prévu les ponts de lumière et des, des sonneaux de 4000 watts. <rire> C'est la vie is the work of writer-directors Olivier Nakache and Eric Toledano, who made the delightful The Intouchables and Samba, though it's nothing like either of them. It takes place at a big, fancy wedding being held at a stately home outside Paris, and the organiser of the wedding is Max. Bon, donc, on ne tire pas tous ensemble sur les lignes. On se coordonne, on échange, hein, on partage. Ouais. Bon, et puis pour finir... J'aimerais bien qu'on évite les tensions. Max, played by the wonderful Jean-Pierre Bacry, treats each wedding as a campaign. His team of cooks, waiters, musicians, photographers, even balloonists have to live up to his exacting standards, even if everyone knows that something can go wrong at any moment. First, Max has to deal with his volatile deputy Adele, who's capable of losing her temper at the slightest pretext. Adele's secretly hired a friend as a fill-in waiter, despite him not knowing a champagne flute from a wooden recorder. Mind you, Max can hardly complain. His own best friend is that walking disaster, Guy, the photographer. Maman, pousse-toi, s'il te plaît. Oui, voilà, maman, pousse-toi, ah, oui. s'il te plaît. Je ne supporte plus. Quand je travaille, que les gens soient comme ça, agglutinés autour de moi avec leur portable, j'emmerde ceux qui prennent des photos avec leur portable. Then there's Max's clinically depressed brother-in-law who distinguishes himself by hitting on the bride. There's a waiter who's training to be a conjurer and another part-timer who, by day, is a policeman. And yes, he's heard every pork joke you can come up with. And loudest of all is the wedding singer James, a man with no filter, a short fuse and a habit of warming up at the worst possible moment. The worst moment is when the pompous client is laying down the law to Max about what he wants. He wants sober, chic and elegant. 
Je vous ai dit que je voulais un truc sobre, chic et élégant. Oui, mais c'est complètement l'esprit. Ce soir, c'est une soirée agréable qui nous attend, une soirée chic et sobre et agréable. Ah Attendez, il me fait peur, lui, hein. Je vais voir toutes les mains en l'air, tout le monde les mains en l'air. Everybody Well, needless to say, he doesn't get any of these, but he and we get something better. C'est la vie may have all the hallmarks of a well-designed French farce, with every scene, every line designed for maximum comic effect, but it's not remotely clinical or contrived. Its riches are in its wealth of characters. Prends des photos, parce que finalement, c'est ça ton métier. Et puis que j'entende plus parler de toi ce soir, s'il te plaît, please. No problem. Well, this is a surprise because the talented filmmakers Nakash and Toledano haven't shown any particular interest in multi-character comedy in their previous work. So their skill at juggling so many great characters, every one of whom gets at least one moment to shine, often more, is quite unexpected. Every setup gets paid off in spades, whether it's the client's paranoia about the remote possibility of the staff waving serviettes at him, or Max's problems with the autocorrect on his phone whenever he texts people. Tu vois, c'est voilà, ça c'est ce putain de correcteur. En plus, je trouve pas les ponctuations. Je me retrouve avec des, des trucs débiles là, ces ronds jaunes qui tirent la langue avec des lunettes de soleil. Des smileys, ça. Ouais, voilà, les, ça là, oui. There's something about the big event food movie, that combination of high tension, volatile characters and gorgeous looking dishes that's hard to resist. I think of The Big Night, Dinner Rush and Ratatouille. And C'est la Vie has revived the genre triumphantly. Je vous préciser quand même que je suis pas un grand orateur. Eh bien, ferme ta gueule alors, c'est pas plus simple. Donc je compte sur vous pour que ce soir, particulièrement, on fasse une belle soirée. Will Max get through the night without having a nervous breakdown? Will he sell up and take a less stressful job? Can Guy, the photographer, find love? Will Adele keep her temper? And can Rocker James learn a Maurice Chevalier song to keep the oldies happy? Excuse-moi, tu veux prendre le plateau de la poche de la cuisine? Comment? Ah, pardon. Euh. Samy, t'es sûr de toi là pour les feux d'artifice? And above all, in the face of power cuts, scratchy wigs, a runaway balloon and a mercy dash to the Champs-Élysées, will the wedding go ahead? As the amused Pakistani dishwashers say to each other, those French, there's something else. The greatest compliment I can give C'est la Vie is that it's even better than the entertaining trailer, and it's been a while since I said that. When a film not only matches but exceeds your expectations, maybe there's hope for the movies after all. And in a week's time, we hope to prove it as we preview the upcoming 2018 International Film Festival. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me then, at the movies, same time next week. <laughs>